Few of you might not know this about me, but I have an ever-growing collection of watches. I love the versatility and matching my timepiece to both outfits and occasions. From everyday styles to finely crafted designs, you name it, I probably own it. So can you imagine how excited I was during lockdown that I could still try on new watch styles and get the shopping experience I love without leaving the house? That's thanks to the power of augmented reality on Snapchat. With Snap AR, businesses can transform how they connect with customers like you and me and the results they deliver. And did you know that more than 200 million Snapchatters use AR every day on average? So if you are in the fine jewellery business or any other business for that matter and want to connect with an engaged audience, you need to visit forbusiness.snapchat.com forward slash OYS and tap into the power of Snap AR today. Hi, I'm Gideon Spanier, UK Editor-in-Chief of Campaign and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. So as the world's focusing this week on COP26 in Glasgow, where global leaders are gathering how to accelerate climate action, we're going to discuss how the ad industry can play a role in tackling the climate emergency and look at what agencies are doing to reduce their own carbon footprints. We're going to review ads from Lego, Coca-Cola and the UN. And later on, I'm going to have a great conversation with Camilla Kemp, CEO of MNC Saatchi and James Shortland the CEO of Initiative, about the great resignation. Now, that's going to be all about the talent crunch in the industry. There's been a really big surge in the number of people quitting to change job or even leaving the industry. And Camilla and James are going to talk about why that's going on and what they see. Now, first, I'm joined by my colleague, Nicola Merrifield. She's Premium Content Editor of Campaign. And Nicola's been looking into research about what Adland is doing around sustainability and net zero targets just to coincide with COP26. So, Nicola, welcome. And what's your research found? So ahead of COP26, we wanted to find out what agencies have been doing um, to change the way they work to become more environmentally sustainable. And we asked them um, what change they're making at work. So um, among the 31 agencies that took part, all of them said they were cutting plastic usage in the office. Um, Almost all said they were reducing energy consumption. 80% said they were cutting business travel abroad. 60% cutting UK travel Um, And then almost 60% said they were offsetting their carbon emissions by taking part in schemes such as tree planting. Alongside that, four in five almost said that they set themselves the goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2030. And the vast majority think they will achieve that. Some are going further and achieving that goal, aiming to achieve that goal earlier on. And a couple have said they've already done it. Really interesting. So... When we know that the Ad Net Zero Summit, which is the UK and global ad industry gathering around COP26 is is happening right now. So we'll have to see what comes out of that. A question I always think is, will agencies and I suppose media owners, will they turn down work with some clients if those clients aren't behaving in a sustainable way? And so would they do that now? Would they do it in the future? And what's if so, if they wouldn't, why not? So we did ask that question in the survey um, and some agencies are already doing that. So 23% said they've turned down work with a, an industry partner, which could be a you know a client or a production company. 
or a media brand, um, and a further 60% said they would do that in the future if they felt the partner wasn't sustainable enough. For those that aren't doing it, um, the argument is that they, they say they want to you know help influence the partners they work with rather than boycotting whole industries or turning down work on a blanket basis. And some of them do have long-standing relationships with clients, you know, those that work in high carbon sectors, um, so that can be difficult for them. Yeah, well, I always think the money talks. So if companies decide not to do things and that they cost them money, that's that, then that's when they are really demonstrating their principles. So Nicola, you've also been looking at some of the new ads which are out and we know it's the start of the holiday season. We've just had Halloween, Christmas is coming and we've got three ads which we're discussing. So let's start with Lego. Sure, yeah, this is uh, Lego's Christmas ad and I thought it certainly captured the joy of children's imaginations and how their Lego sets take them to you know new worlds. Um, so the ad starts with a child playing with a Lego helicopter and then you have a whistle-stop tour through the different worlds of these characters. There are stormtroopers running through a wood, dragons and castles, racing cars, a rocket gets launched at one point, um, the scene moves between deserts, cities and then to a carnival. Um, and then we end the ad um, with zooming out from planet Earth, looking down on it. Um, but again, this is through the eyes of a child because we see the Earth it ends up looking like as though it's on top of a, a cone, ice cream cone, and it looks like the planet is the scoop of ice cream. So it's really fun. Um, it's an ad from uh, the brand's in-house team, the Lego agency, and it's set to a remixed version of the song Build Me Up Buttercup, emphasis on the build. It's about, you know, they're singing Build It Up, which is all about children building characters and worlds. I found the ad to be really jam-packed. I love the speed of it and the way it emulates how quickly children move between their different magical kind of lands that they're creating. What I did find really intriguing is that the references to Christmas are, are fairly subtle. There's some bells chiming at the start and then an image of a Father Christmas Lego character in the corner of the screen spinning a present right at the very end. So yeah, I wondered, Gideon, um, how far do you think that's a kind of unusual approach for a Christmas ad? Well, I actually think it's probably... I don't know because I haven't discussed it with Lego, but I think the idea that you it's more the sort of holiday season time, uh, something I think you get in America, and so therefore sort of underplaying Christmas, I think in some ways that makes sense. Um, I quite enjoyed this, despite my perhaps uh, instincts at the start. Um, and just for the record, the, the film is directed by Tractor through Stink Paris, art directed by Pavel Dabrowski. I hope I've said that right. And, you know, the song is very catchy, the way you build it up. And I think the last thing to say, all these kids who are playing around in the, uh, towards the end of the film, no one's wearing masks. And I think that sense of creativity and imagination, it's definitely trying to forget about COVID. So I think a decent a decent ad, especially for the kids it's aimed at and, and maybe a bit of pester power. So, um, Nicola, should we move on to Coca-Cola and tell us what they've been up to? 
Yeah, so um, this is the new ad for Coca-Cola by Dentsu Magari Bowen UK. It's also hooked on a calendar event, but this one's more immediate. Um, it's called The Ghost Campaign, and it's taking a Halloween theme. The way that it works is a boy who lives above a shop wakes up in the night as though he's heard something, and he wanders slowly through his home in, in the darkness to the ground floor store. And then he looks through a light uh, coming through the glass panel in the, the door he's peering through. And there's a kind of classic trope of a fuzzy CCTV and a strange glow. Um, there's eerie music playing throughout. I thought that sounded a bit like the X-Files. And then as he walks down through the aisles of the store, he finds out where the light's coming from. Um, but it's, uh, for anyone who doesn't like horror films, actually, although it's been themed like this up until this point, the culprit's more of a friendly uh, Casper-like animated ghost who's um, looking to get hold of a Coca-Cola bottle but he's got some problems grabbing hold of it because he can't physically hold it. So the child um, helps him out by smashing the bottle on the floor and then a ghost-like version of the cocoa bottle appears in the hand of the ghost. And then they have a lovely moment where they take a drink together. Um, I'm a big horror film fan, so I really enjoyed the theme of the ad, but I did find the warm ending was a bit of a letdown for me. Um, you know, this idea of them having a nice drink together, and I, I like, actually like the thrill of being scared. So, yeah, Gideon, were you disappointed that ad wasn't more spooky, same as me, um, or would that have not worked for this brand? Um, I have to be honest and say I, I was a little bit underwhelmed full stop. Uh, it's just... It's a perfectly nice ad, and I, I hope it does what Coca-Cola wants. It's got no dialogue, I would say, I'd add. And at the end, it says, real magic. It, it's it's sweet enough. Uh, I understand why they don't want to scare the audience. Interesting, actually, when I think about HFSS advertising, that uh, it's got quite a young person in the ad. So that's just a, a side thought. It's uh, directed by Mark Malloy through Smuggler and art directed by Sakura Hotter. Uh, what I did think is this is about narrative storytelling. Not a tremendous story, but it's definitely something. And it's interesting that Coca-Cola, which really cut its spend during the worst of the pandemic, is clearly investing in brand again. Uh, and our final ad is from the United Nations Development Programme and... It's obviously got a COP26 theme. Nicola? Yes, this is very different altogether. Um, it's from yeah the UN's development programme and it's been put together by Activista. It's been launched to coincide with COP26, which is taking place this week and next. And the protagonist is a talking dinosaur who unexpectedly joins a UN meeting at its General Assembly Hall, bursts in and makes his way to the stage to deliver his speech to concerned looking attendees. Listen up, people. I know a thing or two about extinction. And let me tell you, and you'd kind of think this would be obvious, going extinct is a bad thing. And driving yourselves extinct? In 70 million years, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. At least we had an asteroid. What's your excuse? I felt this campaign was interesting because it's taking a serious issue um, and it, it does include some hard-hitting facts. It talks about the climate disaster that's set to happen, first to government subsidy of fossil fuel industries. But instead of taking a shock tactic approach, the ad is actually focused on, a, on this dinosaur character and I think that gives it a bit of a softer feel and makes it more endearing. I imagine it will probably make it more engaging for a wider age range of audience. I imagine there are a lot of younger people who have little or no engagement with what the UN is up to and 
And so from that point of view, actually showing scenes inside the UN General Assembly Hall and sort of journalists watching as well as the sort of assembly members, um, I think it might have some purpose. I have to say, as a piece of advertising and communication, it didn't wow me. Uh, the cut I saw was 2 minutes 30, which was long. Uh, I'm sure there are shorter versions of it. It's directed by Murray Butler through Framestore. Uh, Wonderman Thompson worked on the associated digital platform. So I would say, yes, I think it will help, actually, in showing that this isn't just about the Greta Thunbergs and the activists. Actually, countries and governments have a role to play in that, and the UN too. So not my favourite ad, but I think maybe on the right lines in terms of its strategic thinking. Right, well, Nicola, thank you so much for joining me and telling us about your research and about the ads. Thanks so much for having me along. It's been great. Now, as promised, we're going to talk about the talent crunch and the great resignation. That is the sudden surge in people moving jobs in the ad industry. There's various different estimates about how much churn there is, but there's talk of 35% in some businesses, which is well above normal in an industry where people are absolutely key. We've got two great people here joining me today. We've got James Shawland, who's the CEO of Initiative in the UK, and Camilla Kemp, who's the CEO of MNC Saatchi. So welcome to you both. And I want to say that James wrote a piece for Campaign recently, and he essentially talks about how client satisfaction is up, but staff happiness is lagging. So James, over to you. Tell us what, what have you observed yeah, thanks, Gideon, and delighted to be here on such an important topic. Um, yeah, just to kind of recap, we work with a company called the Client Relationship Consultancy. And to give a bit of background for those that don't know, they work with about 1,230 agencies around the world in about 90 countries. And what they do is, you know, if I can simplify what they do, it's ask two simple questions. One is of the client which is how likely are you to refer uh, another company to your agency? That's called the TRR rating. And then one is of agency staff who work on a given client, which is how likely are you to recommend working on that specific client? And that's called the barometer. Now, traditionally, what you've seen is a strong correlation between those two marks. And it makes sense. You know, the, the happier the team, the better the work and the better service for the client. But in working with the client relationship consultancy, we've noticed a trend over the last particular 18 months that actually those two figures are now starting to separate. So TRR, which is the client satisfaction, uh, continues to increase and is now at its highest ever level. But conversely, agency staff happiness, the barometer, has decreased and is now lower than it's ever been before. So what we then did is then sort of delve into that sort of more deeply, and you can actually look at some anonymous feedback, and notice that the common kind of complaint which may be causing the great resignation that you refer to is agency staff are complaining of insufficient time, lack of opportunities to learn, and an inability or, or a sort of a lack of opportunity to do innovative work. And so when you start looking at that, you can start to see perhaps some push factors for why we're seeing huge churn across the industry. Really interesting. So uh, welcome, Camilla. And um, how do you see it from MNC Saatchi on the creative side? Because we all know everybody had a tough 2020. Suddenly we're in a market that's on the rise uh, and suddenly lots of people are moving job. 
and, and definitely cl- a lot of clients I talk to have been happy overall with the service. What about your talent? Well, hi, both of you. Really good to join you today. I think um, I would absolutely echo what James says in terms of seeing TRR scores shooting up. And certainly that started to happen during the pandemic. And we've seen it continue. We've had happier clients in some ways than we've ever had. And that's perhaps not surprising because we uh, rolled up our sleeves and lent into the dramas of COVID as it unfolded. And uh, whether we were working with clients like ours, which includes the NHS and Public Health England, or whether we were working with more commercial clients, where they're retail businesses who need to react immediately to stores closing and all of those things, the dynamic nature and the agility to create the right messaging at the right time, put huge amounts of um, sort of extra energy. We all, we're all in emergency mode. And I think our clients saw gosh, my partners are by my side, they're doing what we need to be doing, this is fantastic. And, you know, for a period of time, the team can run on adrenaline and go, yeah, well, this is exciting too. It's Sunday afternoon and we're doing a creative review, but it doesn't matter because we're getting the message out to stop people from spreading their germs, so it's fine. But that set a new um, rhythm, which is faster, more demanding, higher expectations, more intrusive on uh, the boundaries between what is appropriate work time and what's appropriate home time. Um, and that is, I think, really what sits underneath quite a lot of the observations you make, James, about staff uh, staff happiness decreasing, because we've we've sort of gone into emergency mode all the time and we need to reset. And in fact, that's one of the things we're starting to do with our clients now is have really explicit conversations about the you know, service level agreements and what is what good looks like now to be sustainable because I think they recognise that churn isn't good for them either. If, if we have people moving on their teams, they don't get the same level of consistency, which is um, unhelpful for them too. Really interesting. Now, I'd like to get onto some of the solutions that you're talking about, some of the things that can make the, the workplace a better place and and uh, so on, improving uh, mental well-being and trying to reduce burnout. But let's just talk a bit more about the resignation element. What kinds of uh, jobs are seeing the highest churn? And I know, Camilla, when I spoke to your uh, colleague, Murray McLennan at MNC Saatchi, who's the, the global CEO, he he was saying that it was quite a, a the most churn was at the junior levels. So uh, tell us a bit more about what you see. And I realise this might not be a, a specifically just your business. It could be more what you see across the industry. I mean, I think the uh, really dramatic movement and reappraisal of careers is not unique to our industry, first off. I think we all recognise that. I think I would also say that greater movement among more junior levels is also not a new phenomenon. And certainly in our in our agency specifically, I think we, because we attract lots of very curious, ambitious, entrepreneurial people, they may come and learn and sort of absorb everything they want to and move on. And that's not a new thing. I think this is just about really significant sort of acceleration of that trend. Um, and I think in terms of your question of where there might be particular pockets of churn, as we call it, which sounds not a very nice word, actually, when we're talking about humans, um, but lots of movement, I think is potentially in the people who are really on the coalface of, of dealing with the demands of our clients and the expectations of our clients. So 
in in our business at the moment, I think in our client services or account management departments, that's where we're seeing the biggest movement because those people are most facing into the the, the challenge. Well, not the most challenging, but one of the most challenging bits of what we do. Good. I mean, it's good as in a good answer, um, James. Uh, interested to see from the media side what's particularly hot. Yeah, and I love the way you're talking about movement rather than churn. And, and this feels a bit part therapy. It's great to hear in some ways the similar sort of themes that are coming across every time I talk to another sort of uh, agency leader. So we're seeing a couple of things. You know, 50% of people that are leaving are leaving to do something, a career break or a career change. So that's that's interesting. Like uh, Camilla's observations, we're seeing it at the um, manager and below level, so the more junior positions. And interestingly, a sort of observation we've seen sort of statistically we're seeing two-thirds less referrals than we saw in 2019 so younger people aren't saying to their friends or peers this is a great industry to be in anymore which I think goes back to Camilla's piece uh, earlier about sort of the sort of overall job satisfaction interestingly from a media point of view is actually we're seeing the very specialist positions so data data science and, and tech in particular that, that isn't where the problem is. So if you tend to be in a specialist craft, it actually tends to be quite stable. You're quite motivated. And actually, like Camilla's observation in terms of from a creative agency point, those people that I would call the brilliant generalists are the ones that tend to be squeezed in the middle and have the most pressure. So we're seeing it both in what we call CAM, client advice and management, but also in you know what old days it would be called a media planner. Now, we call them connect, uh, comms design, but you can see they're being squeezed because there's lots of transformation, wonderful, exciting stuff that crafts specialisms. But it's the generalists that are therefore being squeezed in terms of whether it be timelines, workload, or that rapid response that Camilla referred to of the last 18 months. And so we're seeing a sort of a very distinct divide. Specialists and craft specialists are fine. It's the generalists that we have our biggest concern where we're seeing the most movement, to use Camilla's term. And also, um, a lot of companies had to cut back last year and now have to staff up. And um, can you give us a clue about the kind of salary increases that you are sometimes willing to give to uh, recruit talent or possibly um, you know, retain them? Yeah, I mean, so we're working closely with external recruitment firms who are kind of keeping us tapping into the marketplace. So what I'm talking about now is is literally intelligence of both ourselves and the marketplace. And um, because of that dearth of, of junior positions, what you're seeing is those positions, you're starting to see sort of, dare I say, cost inflation that will impact both the agency and eventually the client. So that's, you know, anywhere, any market where there's an imbalance between supply and demand you're going to get that. So you know, some of the observations we're, we're seeing, albeit their junior salaries, are sort of in excess of 10, um, sometimes sort of 20%. A lot of us work with different salary ranges that, that we're um, you know, working close with the IPA, um, but it's that junior position you're seeing. But what I am hearing in the marketplace is either retention bonuses or actually signing on bonuses that is starting to take place in and around the marketplace. And so that is intelligence that we're seeing across the board. I mean, we are obviously entering a time, an economic time of inflation more generally. I think it's fair to say and salary inflation is one of those things, which for lots of people is a brand new experience because we haven't had it economically for some time. Of course, where there is shortage and where there's demand, uh, things, the price goes up. 
And I think for a long time, actually, there have been lots of people who were desperate to come and work in the industry that we are lucky enough to be in. And it's interesting, actually, James, you were saying about 50% of people are moving on to other industries or taking a career break. I don't know if it's quite as much as that, actually. I feel sort of optimistic for the industry that although I'm sad to see some of our people go to other agencies, I'm happy for them to still be part of our community and what we're doing. But to answer your question, Gideon, about um, salary inflation, I think there have been some uh, quite extraordinary demands, actually, from uh, recruiters or candidates who said, well, you know, this is my price. And we have had a couple of examples where we um, haven't responded to that, even if we've thought they were fantastic, because to skew your salary base so significantly for one individual creates a whole other load of questions for the rest of your team who are already there. So I think, yes, we are seeing some salary inflations in the market, but we've also recently done a very proactive piece to look at the salaries of all of our existing staff in line with what's happening in the market and take measures proactively to address those and ensure that people are seeing the progression that they need, that they have a clear path. And actually for lots of people, yes, money is a factor, but other things seem to be much more important. Am I getting the variety of work that I want that I'm growing and learning in my career, for example? Um, And we we recently conducted um, some stay interviews, which are a proactive way of understanding what your talent need in order to continue to feel um, you know, enjoy their job. So instead of waiting till someone resigns and you do an exit interview, the stay interview is a relatively new concept, I think, to try and be proactive about that. And of yes, of course, out of that, we heard recognition, progression and balance were really important, but variety was so crucial. And part of that um, has, as a result of that, we've taken initiative to really proactively open up giving people opportunities across the group so actually opening up any internal uh, role or hire so that it's very available for everyone to see um, which is our, our new connected talent initiative and it's really good I think because it's allowing people to learn and continue to grow and have those opportunities within our broader family rather than feeling they need to go to another agency so I think there's lots of things we can do if we really understand the root causes of what motivates um, and that's a particular example of, of how we can address the question of variety. Yeah. Um, James, what sort of things have you been trying to do to retain your talent and um, address some of these issues? Yeah. So uh, I think there's we've been sort of living by this mantra of attraction and advancement, which is supporting people both in the attractiveness of the, the job and a, uh, similar to Camilla, the job doesn't just mean in the sort of department or the company we're in, how can we connect them? But I think a lot of it is about supporting the advancement of everyone in terms of their careers and, and their learning, because very similar to Camilla, it, it, it's not a salary thing. It's actually more about the variety and the opportunity to learn. So for the first thing we've done is uh, everyone at our company gets access to a life coach now. So they, they've got this ability to then spend time with a life coach to think about some of their career choices. And and again, like Miller, if someone leaves and stays in our wonderful industry, we actually celebrate that because it means it, it, you know we need good talent. Now, I won't lie, in some of those life coach sessions, someone said they want to be a novelist and has left the industry. That's, that's you know, still a sort of a, a, a move with support. But the life coach... Uh, element that we call my coach has been incredibly successful at making people feel supported in how they advance. And the other one that's very interesting is uh, we've invested in a middle uh, layer of our staff being fully trained up to recognize signs of mental distress. 
And that's a very, very important point because a lot of people are talking about mental health or mental well-being. And there are some early signs that one can recognise in your teams that can then be proactively supported rather than wait until it's too late. So one of our biggest investments was fully training our staff to recognise that in their line management duties. Uh, and so I think that's really, really supported people just from a sense of mental well-being as they approach their daily tasks. That's interesting. Very interesting and really important. Um, I'm curious about one thing. Um, I'm speaking to you from the campaign offices and I can see, Camilla, that you are in the office. James, I can't tell on the, through the video chat. Are you at home? I am at home, yes. Yeah. Um, someone said to me when we were chatting about when this sort of talent crunch first emerged in the spring, maybe it's easier to resign when it's all over Zoom and you, you know, you actually, you, you're less connected to the company and the team you work for. Doesn't mean you don't enjoy your work for necessarily. And I wondered how much the return to the office is something that is important for bonding teams and, and to support people in every sense, because we understand that hybrid working is here to stay, but we also understand that that to learn, particularly for, I think, younger people, does being being face-to-face really makes a big difference. So I'm going to go to Camilla, who's in the office. How much has the remote working actually led to this sort of lessening of the bonds within, within teams? I mean, I think it's a really good observation, and I would definitely agree that the benefits of being in the office are going to be around being stimulated by people who aren't in your direct team, but who you meet and who share ideas and who inspire you in some way. It broadens your your vision and 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 your experience of being a part of a company rather than just working on your particular client or project. So again, sort of leading back to the variety point, when you're at home in the same room, looking at the same screen, working with the same people, it can feel incredibly like Groundhog Day. And so I do think that coming back into the office, not just being in the office, but the physical commute, being surrounded by people, the sort of stimulus generally, the opportunity to think between leaving your house and getting to work are all really good things actually for our mental health more broadly and yes once you're in being able to share ideas talk to people learn listen to people sitting next to you who are having a really difficult conversation and hear how they handle it there is a lot of learning that happens you know more more by sort of osmosis as I would say but equally I do think that increasingly agencies have been thinking about and need to think about much more purposeful reasons to come together and that will mean that learning opportunities in particular can be a collective experience that both bond teams and help people to feel like they're getting some sort of development so we're we're rolling out at the moment um, a, a program uh, for everybody to understand more about sustainability. And actually, you might think, well, why are you doing that? You're a creative agency. But the reason is, apart from the broader context, obviously, of sustainability being the most important thing we all need to think about, but to help those people both understand what that might mean in terms of literally the science of it and how it works so they can have constructive conversations with their clients, but also how we as a business and they as individuals can take steps to improve what we're doing. And that kind of learning, which is broader than the day job, is really stimulating for people because it's going to be um, creating probably quite unique learning opportunities, but also things that helps them to feel that they're really making the industry better, doing their jobs better, and having more interesting conversations with clients. I've gone on a bit of a tangent there, but I guess it's trying to illustrate the point that I think doing those sorts of things also physically in the office when it's appropriate too, 
um, is a really good and, uh, and, and, and does help people feel part of something. I do agree that it probably is easier to resign on, on Zoom because you can just, you just press the red button at the end, say bye, see you, and that's it. Well, we're nearly at the red button moment on this conversation, but I'm really enjoying it. So James, do you want to chip in briefly on, is it easier to resign? And uh, perhaps, I'm going to pick up on something you wrote in your article. I, I believe stakeholder power is now shifting away from the agency or client to employees Super interesting points. Yeah, great. I mean, I, I should say that it's a really pertinent question for us at Initiative because we move into our brand new office next week, which is why I'm sort of working from home today. We're, we're very, very excited about that. And that's by the Old Bailey, right, in London? That's correct. Yeah, it's a fantastic new building. And we've been in a bizarre way, lucky to sort of redesign the space with flexibility in mind and the new ways of working, which we're incredibly excited about. Yeah, the interesting piece for me was actually where that came from in terms of the shift in power was actually around pitching. We're hearing a lot around the marketplace that more and more agencies are refusing to pitch. And that is for, you know, we're all charged with growth. So for for CEOs and agency leaders to say no to pitch, and that's significant. And the reason we're doing that is to protect the well-being of our staff, right? So I think we would experience more movement if we were to suddenly go after sort of every pitch. And if I then circle that back to your question about, you know, is it easy to resign? I actually want to sort of maybe perhaps think about it in a different way. I think some of the, the ways of working via a laptop versus in a room, the things we're missing is that wonderful dialogue for human tolerance, it's very, very difficult to have a harsh conversational feedback when you're actually sat next to the person in the room. It pr- produces a lovely growth mindset. Things will always go wrong in our industry, but how do we collectively work around the room to make sure we get better? And I think it's impossible, unless you're an ogre, to be in a room and, and give the sort of harsh, direct feedback that some of the times we're seeing um, in sort of some of the you know, matrix teams and client agency team feedbacks that we're seeing uh, through laptops. So that's the thing I think I'm most looking forward to. And I think we've seen that in pitching. There's this kind of wonderful camaraderie you can have in a room when sort of meeting clients for the first time. And I think that applies to day-to-day work, whether it's internal meetings or uh, with clients. That humanity and just that joy of working together is definitely missing. So whilst fingers crossed I haven't had anyone directly resign to me yet on a laptop, I suspect that actually just our day-to-day workings will improve our well-being once we can all get in the office together. All right. Well, it's a great conversation. I'm very struck by what Camilla said about inflation as well, because you know, it, it, the inflation does present problems, but in a rising market, which we are at the moment, it does at least allow... Uh, make it easier to kind of grow. I feel like for a long time the sector's been under a lot of pressure. Right, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much to Nicola Merrifield, Camilla Kemp and James Shawland for joining us. Please do visit our website campaignlive.co.uk and subscribe to our email newsletters so you can stay up to date with everything that's going on in Adland, including all the new Christmas ads that are coming over the next few days. And on behalf of the campaign team, thanks so much. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.